0: Welcome to A4N, the Artificial Neural Network News Network, the show about the latest developments in artificial intelligence, machine learning, and data science, where we both introduce technical aspects of these advances, as well as discuss their social implications. In today's episode, we'll be discussing creating successful data science-focused businesses with the extraordinary Kirill Aramenko.
1: Please. Uh, that was too, too strong, but thank you. Thank you. Too nice, much. nice to meet everybody. <laughs>
0: um, as well as talking about uh, breaking news on how machine learning is being deployed to understand the world's oceans, as well as to clean the oceans up. My name is John Crone. I have a Canadian accent, and I always use the word data as a plural
2: term, so that's how you can identify me. And I'm Vince Pataccio, the one with glasses.
0: <laughs> um they are
2: really thick friends.
0: All right, so let's get started. We're deeply honored to have our special guest, Kirill, with us today. So I found out just before the program, this is mind-blowing to me, I assumed that Kirill was on people's podcasts all the time and that this was just like another day, another podcast for him. And in one respect, that's true. Because Kirill has his own podcast, the Super Data Science Podcast, and we'll talk about Super Data Science a whole bunch in this program. And with Super Data Science, Kirill has recorded 363 of his own podcast episodes. And on 180 of those, he's had a guest. However, this is Kirill's second time ever as a guest on a podcast, and the last time was four years ago in 2016. So what an honor to have you here, Kirill. Tell us where you're joining us from today, and how are things going for you under the coronavirus lockdown that we're under.
1: Oh, thank you, John. Thank you very much. Uh, I want to preface this by st- by saying that the honor is mine. I'm actually holding your book, uh, Deep Learning Illustrated by John Crone, right in my hands now. Uh, it's nice. funny enough; it arrived uh, in my post the same day as, or the next day following when we recorded the podcast show super data science show and uh, yeah so very exciting looks looks like a really cool book with uh, great illustrations and of course vince uh, very lovely to meet you as well you are a climate advocate so i'm looking forward to discussing things today about oceans and things like that um yeah to answer your question john i um, calling from the uk so during this coronavirus uh, pandemic i was fortunate to be with my girlfriend at the time when the lockdowns uh, took place and we're uh, a bit west of London, about two hours west. Uh, we're staying in a small mm-hmm. little village. So, um, you know, just going through this pandemic together and I'm I'm quite great. I'm very grateful for that and uh, hopefully things will settle down soon so I can go back to Australia where I usually am and uh, see my family there.
0: Yeah, we can tell from your strong Australian accent. <laughs> no, no, I,
1: I um, yeah, like my accents a mix because I was born in Russia, I grew up in Africa, and I live in Australia now. So it's like quite hard to tell like for people where the accent is from sometimes.
0: And yeah, well, you're fortunate that your uh, company, Super Data Science, is completely distributed, right? You guys are like everyone is it works separately all the time right so this isn't a big disruption
1: yeah no it's uh it's totally uh like we adapted to this very quickly we have 15 people on the team fully distributed we cover 10 different time zones uh, eight different countries and yeah uh fully distributed and luckily as well our students can study from anywhere so uh we are continuing to provide services uh, and products to our students and supporting them in this uh, difficult time and i think it's it's a good time to learn right like if you can't go anywhere if you're sitting at home uh, and you've always wanted to study data science uh, this is the time to jump into it i myself i'm taking uh, several courses like i was uh, just learning how to be more productive with this uh, tool called omni and i'm really enjoying learning online tell us about OmniFocus in a second but i also
0: just want to make the audience aware of um, super data science and, and kind of what you guys do so the, the super data science brand that you created five years ago, roughly? Mm, yeah, I think around 2015, yeah. Initially, I think it was it was you recording uh, data science videos. I think you did all of the initial ones. Is that right?
1: Yeah, yeah. I think I did like maybe 12 or a bit more courses myself. So that initial connection that you created, and then
0: the subsequent videos, your data science educational video tutorials, they range from data visualization uh, all the way through to deep learning and super data science now has 1.1 million students wow. and growing quickly at the time of recording. Right.
1: <laughs> Thank you. Um, just to clarify, so people are not misled. Um, we have <laughs> <laughs> we <laughs> have yeah one one point uh, over 1.1 million students through Udemy where you can buy courses individually. So if you're interested into just like trying out a specific topic in data science, whether it's visualization or deep learning or machine learning or uh, I don't know like um, soft skills or whatever else in data science, you can pick an individual course and just purchase it on Udemy. Or you're after a specific topic, like you might be interested in uh, BERT and how to use uh, that uh, framework in for natural language processing. But for people who are interested in going further, we have a membership in Super Data Science where people can sign up and get access to all of our courses, additional workshops and and more in order to progress their career further, like learning paths and stuff like that. Um, and that's, that's where people who want to advance their career further go. And of course, um, the bulk or the, the main, the majority of students that we have the over 1 million on Udemy, but then from there, um, we have a pathway through super data science as well.
0: Yeah. And I checked that platform out. I checked the super data science platform out after we spoke, after I was on your podcast, um, I took your recommendation to sign up for for the super data science newsletter, um, and then. Uh, went to the platform and it's it's very well set out there you can access the platform for free and i think there's quite a bit of content in there that is free Um, so there's you know i I definitely do recommend doing that and then most of the courses like the courses that people could be getting separately in udemy you can then pay in the super data science platform to access those specific programs right
1: yes yeah absolutely yeah so anybody indeed can check it out Uh, we have trial memberships we have some free content On super data science and we also provide absolutely free content like the podcast is free the newsletter that you mentioned the data science insider is also free so uh, in whatever ways we can we support the data science community nice yeah i love it
0: and um and then so you said you were studying something specifically so um you're studying right now you said omni
1: omni focus so After starting the business five years ago or or a bit more now and growing and scaling it, I've had less and less time for data science and more and more time for or requirement to run the business. And um, like there's a lot involved in building a team, creating a culture, setting up processes, having difficult conversations, hiring, firing. Um, strategy, vision, products, values, like all these things combined. And I found myself getting more and more like overwhelmed. And so I've been, over the past five years, one of my personal journeys has been discovering productivity and reading books like, um, the Productivity Project by Chris Bailey, which actually came out in 2015. Fantastic book. Um, now I'm reading Deep Work by Carl Newport, another fantastic book. Yeah, booker. we
0: talked about that um, on the last episode. Yeah, uh, yeah. Or on the episode that I recorded with you.
1: Yeah, it was, it's a it's a great book. And uh, productivity is important. And recently I was reading a book, uh, The Great CEO, CEO Within by Matt McCary, uh who's a CEO CEO coach in the Silicon Valley. There's a cool, really cool episode of him on the uh, This weekend Startups podcast or twist by Jason Kalakinis, I think. Uh, and so they've got a really cool episode with Matt McCarry there. And um, anyway, so I found out about this book. I was reading it. And there he briefly mentions this tool OmniFocus. And I thought, oh, well, you know, give it a go. Anything that can increase my productivity would be cool. Found this tool. It's amazing. It like blows all other tools I was using Evernote before blows all other tools completely out of the water. Like you can put in like any email I get that I can't action right away. I just forward it onto OmniFocus and archive it. So now my inbox is almost always free. Um, I have like an inbox in OmniFocus and then I allocate them to projects and so on. Uh, and I got a, to do a quick shout out to a course. The course I'm taking is by Peter Ackes, uh how to basically be more productive with OmniFocus 3. Basically, if you look at wow. Peter Aki's uh, on YouTube, you'll find his videos. And that uh, course has really been a life changer for me. So um, yeah, highly recommend. If somebody wants a tool for productivity, OmniFocus is the best tool I found. And I did quite a lot of research in this space. Amazing. Nice.
0: I will be checking that out today. It sounds like I would be wasting time if I didn't. <laughs> One more question here that, that might have a bit of a long answer, but I'm really interested to hear it. So prior to Kirill and Uh, me being introduced, and this isn't me flattering you, because I had this opinion before I'd ever met you, is that super data science is the biggest educational brand in data science. The number of students that are impacted by super data science, I have not found any other uh, program that comes close. Tell us about your journey. You know, now you're, you're, you know, you're, you're studying, um, you know, focus, uh, tools and, and you're managing a data science company, and I think this is a journey that a lot of people um, in machine learning uh, will experience or already have experienced among listeners. And so, so tell us about that, that experience of going from uh, being a data scientist um, and then growing the successful business and that gradual transition towards management
1: where you find yourself today. Oh, thank you. Um, that's a that's a very good question. <laughs> I tend to ask it myself on my podcast quite a lot, and, um, yeah, I'd I would probably preface it with or start the answer by saying that you gotta do what you love. Like the goal shouldn't be build a to business or make a ton of money or, um, I don't know, or even. Impact a million people that's that if you start out with that goal, you're like um, really setting yourself up for failure in my view yeah. and for me, I just found I was exploring quite a lot. I was uh, working at Deloitte and then I was in the industry in a, as a data scientist in a superannuation uh, company in Australia, which is a um, basically a pension fund and I was exploring quite a lot what do I want to do with my life? what do I want to do like what am I what am I going actually going to enjoy and love? And I found through like a, a long story, but I found that teaching by, by taking an online course and then trying it out, basically trying to teach some, mm-hmm. uh, some, a course myself, I found that I really love it and that this is something I, I want to do. And so I started, just started doing that and I was really good at it. And well, from my perspective, I was really good at it. And
0: I think we can quantitatively, uh, we have quantitative evidence that indicates that you're pretty good at it.
1: <laughs> thanks but, yeah but like at the time um people were giving me great comments and feedback saying hey like, yeah i learned something from you and i enjoyed that and looking back on my life this is uh, an advice i have for people when people ask me like what what how do i find out what i'm passionate about it it only later struck me that i've actually been teaching all my life like when i was at uni i was uh teaching these extracurricular classes like uh through a remote school then um i was always like helping my brothers learn i was teaching um when i was in, employed in companies it wasn't ever like crystallized that like i'm an educator but it's always been something that i enjoyed explaining things to people and so uh it just circled background and i ended up doing something that i had been with me all my life and only accidentally i figured out that that was my passion and uh, i started just doing that more and more and more and at some point i realized that I can continue doing it as a hobby and there's nothing wrong with that. Um, or if I want to scale, I'll have to treat, treat it as a business. Like I, I won't be able to scale a hobby and there's a very big, like there's a massive difference between a hobby um, and scaling a business. So I went and I did a course in, uh, I signed up for a course in Santa Barbara. So I was living, I well, still do live in Australia at the time. and um this course was in santa barbara like a a course on how to scale a business basically and uh in, okay, the in santa US. barbara california yeah right. california so i had to fly to santa barbara it required some commitment for me i had to go there four times in a year for for like two days each time just like take how, a long tw- that,
0: how long is that flight like,
1: 13 hours, hours 13 hours mm, wow uh for two days go back and like learn <laughs> how to how to scale the business but uh, one thing that I learned and I, I'm happy to share on this podcast like one thing that I learned on the first day of that course like paid off I knew at the moment I learned I knew that this is going to pay for the tuition and it's going to pay for all the flights and all the trouble like this one concept I'm go- I've am i learned is going to completely cover is, is worth it makes the whole thing worth it do you, you want to know what it is? Yeah. Yeah, I don't know <laughs> 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 yes please uh, what is it? Okay. All right. All right. So the concept huh. is, if you want to scale a business, then as as your business scales, whatever task that scales in terms of time with your business has to be delegated. That's it. Basically, if you're, example, if you're spending two hours replying to customer questions a, a week, which is not much. If you want to 10x your business, well, that's going to be 20 hours a week, which is also kind of manageable. But if you want 100x your business, it's going to be 200 hours a week. And that's impossible. So right away, you know, even at the onset, as soon as you decide this is no longer a hobby, now there's going to be a business. You just need to start thinking what is going to scale, what tasks are going to scale in terms of amount of time required as I scale my business. And whatever comes up, like you can just sit down and write a whole list. Whatever comes up on that list, you need to start delegating. You need to start hiring people, hiring freelancers, hiring contractors, building a team, installing a culture, and that's a whole separate, um, you know, how you do that. That's the how, but the what is like, you need to delegate. Otherwise you'll be overwhelmed and you won't be able to scale your business. You won't be able to scale your impact.
0: Nice. That is yeah, really good advice. I'm someone who I, I I'm like slightly starting to get comfortable with this stuff I, I've been lucky at my job at Untapped, where I've been for the last five years, and working with Vince and Grant and Andrew, who are all co-hosts of the show, it's very nice to have people that I know I, I can ask them to do something and, and they're going to do it really well. It's something I've struggled with. Uh, it's very hard for me trusting you know, to, to delegate something to other people. Hmm. The, the, the result of that is a constant feeling of being overwhelmed. <laughs> <laughs> Like, so I, that is amazing advice, and um, yeah, I, I really appreciate that. So um, so what's your dream state? Do you have a vision today of what you're driving toward, maybe with super data science, or just more generally in your life?
1: That's a great question. With super data science, we have a mission, which is to make the complex simple. That's just like a mission doesn't ever change. That's something that we're always going to keep doing, regardless of how big we get, how small we get, whatever the circumstances are. That's what we do. We take uh, complex topics and break them down into simple tutorials or simple ways uh, to understand uh, these topics. Uh, And the vision behind, or the vision that's right now we have for, in order for us to keep fulfilling on that mission. Uh, is to become the number one place for people to get started in their career in data science and to continue progressing that career. So we want to create a community of data scientists who can learn and grow and take uh, courses and progress their careers and at the same time help each other out. And that's why we're supplying all these different avenues or channels of media, uh, whether it's a podcast, video tutorials, blog posts, workshops, uh, webinars uh, we have a, a real event uh, uh, data science go we have a virtual conference which we're uh, launching in june this year data science go virtual um uh, udemy courses and so on and um where people can get all this content and uh, also network with each other so that's that's the vision and uh, yeah we're getting we're on our way and we're doing our best and um just recently like what was it today's yeah, the day before yesterday, we had our monthly team meeting where we all get together. It's quite hard to um, orchestrate because of the different time zones. But nevertheless, and we invited four of our students to this uh, meeting to give us, you know, tell us their stories because we have people in our development team. We have people in our media team. We have people in the marketing team who often don't really interact with students and they don't know the story. So we asked them to share their stories And it was very touching. It was very impactful on how these four people from four different walks of life have interacted with our products and um, have thereby changed their careers or really progressed and become influencers or are starting out into the space of data science. So, from feedback like that, we can see that we're on the right track.
0: Yeah, that's super cool. And I'm not surprised uh, because I've seen in your platform um, this kind of, there's four main educational tracks, I'm going to try to remember them. There's like data analyst, there's data scientist, machine learning engineer. And is it, is it like, a, like a business, like a machine learning manager kind yeah, of track?
1: Yeah, uh, data science manager.
0: Data science manager. That's right. And uh, that's cool. It's great to think about it kind of in those ways. And um, there's there lots of content in there that I'm looking forward to uh, digging into at some point. Uh, hopefully soon. Although now it's it's gonna have to be after Omnifocus.
1: <laughs> Thanks, John. Thanks. Um, yeah, and uh, looking forward to uh, hopefully uh, working together. Like um, as uh, I, mean, I mentioned, the Data Science Go virtual conference. Well, mm-hmm. uh, you're gonna be a speaker there, so it's gonna be fun. Yep. Like I, I'm excited about amplifying each other's impact on the data science community in, in ways like that.
0: Yeah, that's going to be, I think it's going to be an interesting talk. It isn't, uh, it isn't one I've given as kind of a standalone hour talk before. So um, I, I do, so I have this kind of, depending on how I do it, five to 10 hours of content on applying deep learning to uh, natural language problems. And uh, what I'm going to do in the hour at Data Science Go Virtual is I'm going to kind of summarize um, the the best parts of that 10 hours uh, down to specifically kind of looking at what kinds of model architectures uh, perform well with you know a particular data set size and uh, a particular problem that you're solving and then we can compare those different model architectures you know if we use a dense net a convolutional net a recurrent neural network um, if we have multiple parallel streams of processing kind of how do you know how do these different models compare against each other, and what are the metrics that we should be using to evaluate um their performance? I'm really looking forward to giving that talk
1: fantastic can't wait can't wait that's it sounds like like you have you're the you're the person to give that talk <laughs> with your experience in deep learning is gonna be a really good one
0: nice all right well um Vince, do you have any questions? I didn't like you talk at all do you anything <laughs> is he you still like there yes, he <laughs> I'm just taking
2: it in. I'm enjoying it. Uh, no, I think we pretty much uh, covered it all. I've, it's great to hear about everything you're doing, Kirill. It's uh, really great to see the impact you're having on the data science community and helping you know younger, more junior practitioners grow their careers and experience more and uh, you know really fulfill their their maximum potential. So it's great to see. Thank you for that.
1: Thank you, Vince.
0: Wonderful. Yeah. So this is the artificial neural network news network. Up to this point, we've just been. In the- getting to know our guest Kirill very well and it's been a delight to do that coming up next we are going to get into the news portion portion of the show we are going to be talking about uh, new machine learning techniques that are being used to understand life in the ocean and protect it Uh, more on that coming up in a second
2: in a world where toilet paper can be bought for an ounce of gold Is there any place where I can find what I need? Empty shelves. Stores with no toilet paper. Empty rolls in the bathroom. What can I do? And that's when I found TPML. With TPML, you can analyze social media posts to find where toilet paper is in stock. And not just that, real user reviews can tell you where the highest quality toilet paper can be found to suit your needs.
0: All right, I hope you enjoyed that message from our sponsor, TPML. Um, Up next on the program, it was so hard not to laugh during filming of that. Um, So uh, we are now going to discuss uh, a news piece. This was inspired by something Uh, that I came across in the New York Times, an article called AI is helping scientists understand an ocean's worth of data. So in this story, they talked about machine learning being used to identify and classify whale sounds from 180,000 hours of ocean sound recordings. And this is important because endangered species like right whales are migrating north due to warming oceans, and they are dying in unexpectedly large chunks. Um, So in the last couple of years since 2017, uh, 30 of them, which doesn't sound like a lot, but that's actually seven and a half percent of all of the around 400 um, right whales that there are on the planet. Um, so, so 30 of them, 7, 7.5% of them have died in the last couple of years and they usually live very long. So this is alarming. Uh, so this was a project uh, mentioned in the article that uh, Google was helping create uh, the algorithms for, for detecting these right whale sounds. However, uh, it's kind of a, a broader effort. There's also the Charles Stark Draker Laboratory and the New England Aquarium uh, who are collaborating to develop machine learning algorithms that predict where whales and other animals are using combinations of data across satellites, sonar, radar, human reports, ocean currents, and so on. The idea being that if we can predict where whales are, um, we can then adapt shipping routes. Uh, we can adapt fishing programs Um, so that they are less harmful to these endangered species. Um, Vince, do you want to tell us more about this?
2: Yeah, absolutely. So just to give a little bit of a contextual background to this, um, the ocean is really critical in helping us to kind of slow down the rate and the pace and also decrease the severity of climate change. Uh, The ocean is a major sink for carbon in the atmosphere. Uh, In fact, the ocean has absorbed so much carbon since the Industrial Revolution that if it weren't for the ocean, our atmosphere is predicted to have risen by over 30 degrees Celsius in temperature. So that yeah, as opposed to the one degree, which we have already seen since the Industrial Revolution, which is itself alarming and causing uh, a lot of trouble for humanity and other species around the world. So you can see that the ocean is really important. Uh, for helping us uh, control and stabilize the climate and the ecosystems of this planet. Um, And so with that in mind, it's really important that we do everything that we can to kind of reduce humanity's impact on the ocean so that the ocean can continue helping us. So right now, one of the things that's uh, concerning about the ocean is that we see a whole bunch of different changes happening as a result of climate change. So water temperature is an obvious one. Uh, As the global temperatures increase, that increases the temperature of the water. And that's what gave rise to the migrations of these North Atlantic right whales from the Gulf of Maine into um, the Gulf of Lawrence or Lawrence up in Canada.
0: Yeah, 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 Lawrence.
2: And so uh, in Canada, we just call him Larry,
0: okay.
2: uh, <laughs> the Golf of Larry, yep. Larry's Golf. <laughs> he's a really <laughs> nice guy. <laughs> he's got a great stroke. He's he's great with the golf. Um, <laughs> but in addition to, <laughs> to rising water temperatures, uh, one thing that we also see happening is the change in in temperature of the water can affect uh, the currents of the water, the movement of the water throughout the ocean. Uh, And in addition, the melting of ice in the ocean can actually change the salinity of the water because you're basically melting freshwater ice into saltwater. And between the salinity changes and the temperature changes, um, you get even more drastic shifts of ocean currents. Uh, which can have broader implications for weather above the surface of the ocean, uh, for the movement and the habitats for certain types of animals. Even where certain animals uh, breed and, and give birth can be drastically changed by this or totally destabilized. So it's really important that we do everything that we can to protect the oceans and the wildlife within them. Uh, and so in this particular story that you mentioned, John, it's Dr. Anne Allen at NOAA, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration here in the United States. Mm-hmm. Uh, she had she found herself with over 180,000 hours of underwater recordings. And and this is actually a major, um, not issue, but challenge or, or really an opportunity uh, with oceanic research is there's an enormous amount of data because we can record data uh, all day and all night all over the ocean i mean the ocean is the majority of the surface of the earth and and so there's a large amount of space where we can collect a huge amount of data but once we actually have the data it's it's hard to know what to do with it to have the greatest impact so uh, dr allen had 180,000 hours of underwater recordings and uh, she was studying the occurrence of uh, whales in the in a bunch of different pacific islands and she said, okay, how can I actually use this enormous amount of uh, information to serve my, my research goals? And so as you mentioned, she worked with Google uh, to try to build a model that could help her identify humpback whale songs in those recordings. So they, she took that 180,000 hours of underwater recordings and found 10 hours of it that she labeled uh, to indicate whether or not there were humpback whale recordings within that. And worked with Google, who kind of modified a YouTube model that they use, which uh, I think all we really know about it at this point is that it's uh, a neural network, uh, which they use to identify certain sounds in YouTube video content. And they were able to build a model with her that lets her very rapidly analyze data from these underwater recordings so that she doesn't have to to trawl through hundreds of thousands of hours of recordings to find and track these humpback whales. So uh, it, it's pretty exciting stuff that they're working on. And I think that it, it really bodes well for the future of, of this type of oceanic research.
0: Nice. Um, this reminds me of a couple of different companies that um, uh, friends of mine uh, work at that do similar kinds of things outside of the environmental space. So um, a guy who did, who, who was studying, he was an undergrad at Oxford while I was doing my PhD there. And we were both on the in the Oxford Entrepreneurs um, kind of committee together. Um, his name is Rasmus, and Erasmus has become incredibly successful um, in the AI space out of Berlin. Um, so he did a PhD at um, ETH Zurich, um, uh, the Technical University in Switzerland. And uh, during that time, you guys might remember this, as part of his doctoral dissertation, he came up with a convolutional neural network inside a web UI that predicts how attractive you are. Um, so you could upload a photo, huh. and then it kind of tells you how, it, it could assign a bunch of things. It was like, you could guess your age, um, but the, the primary training data set, I don't think he ever said where, um, which, which website it was, but using a, somebody gave him access to a dating website database. And so you could, you have this logistic regression model predicting, uh, you know, so you have an input of someone's profile photo from their dating profile, and then how likely they are to, to be contacted in the platform. Anyway, I digress. I, maybe you guys aren't aware of that. I feel like there was a big splash a few years ago. Anyway, um, <laughs> he's, he now runs this company Morantix. And one of the things that they do is they work with, um, autonomous driving companies and because autonomous vehicles create absolutely crazy amounts of data per second. It's like the amount of data they create per second is like more than the data we had stored on earth two decades ago. It's like wild. Wow. Uh, don't quote me on that number, but it's something it's, I'm not far off on on those things. And so his company builds tools. It sounds a lot like what what he's describing here in this environmental use case where you have this huge amount of data, 180,000 hours of ocean sound recordings, and you want to be able to identify where in there there are whale sounds. You can study those, or you can build maps uh, predicting where the whales are going to be. So they do this with autonomous driving to be able to, so that you can look for something, some specific kind of element um, amongst the huge amount of data generated by an autonomous vehicle. And I just want to give one other example, which is this company, Wirewax, uh, so a friend of mine here in New York, Dana Legatuta, she does uh, client partnerships at Wirewax, and so they're the same kind of idea. Wirewax is this British company that allows companies like Disney to upload all of their video catalog, all of their B um, reels, all of their ESPN video footage, and then if they want to be able to look something up, like man catches baseball, they can type that in as a um, as a query, and then using this wire wax tool it will it will go and look over all the video footage that disney has and identify clips that seem relevant uh, to that query anyway so this
1: is an interesting that's amazing uh,
0: it's a cool application that all of these applications it's cool what we can do with deep learning and ai karil i don't know if we haven't, haven't you talk or
1: yeah there uh that's an interesting observation there's more and more companies that are popping up like that uh, for instance uh, a recent one is scale.com super expensive domain <laughs> This uh company managed to get. Um and it's run by a very young guy. I forgot his name. I heard him on another podcast. Um and what they do scale. Huh? His name is Benedict (laughs) Scale. No way. Ah (laughs) the Benedict Scale. No way. No. Um so yeah.
0: He's a a famous (laughs) sports bowler.
1: He decided to get this website. Um uh, anyway, so Uh, Alexander Wang is his name and, uh, he is, uh, probably like 22, 23 years old or something like that. Um, and they collect, uh, basically their, their mission is high quality training and validation data for AI applications. And similar to what you said, self-driving cars, before you can use that data for training, you need to make sure, you know, like you need to label it. You need to label all the people like, you know, like where's a person in that, in that, uh, and um, the video that the car has captured. Where is a human? Where is a signpost? Where is a traffic sign, traffic light, whatever else? And so they do all of that. And they are working with OpenAI, NVIDIA, Lyft, Samsung, SAP, Toyota, uh, Airbnb. I think on the podcast, he even mentioned that they're working with uh, Tesla as well, but I'm not sure about that one. Waymo as well. Mm-hmm. So all of the big um, companies, they need the service and they have all this data. But before you can train on it, you need to label it. So it's like machine learning before machine learning. Yeah. There's... yeah it, Go ahead. It's, it's really a, a, an enormous amount
2: of opportunity when you have all of this data coming in and it's interesting because, particularly with oceans, we have, as I mentioned, huge amounts of data, but some of this data goes back really, really far in time. One example that comes to mind immediately for me is um, it, back during the Cold War, the United States actually installed a huge array of underwater microphones, which are incredibly sensitive all around the United States in the oceans and in some other places of the world as well, uh, with the goal of identifying and tracking. Uh, submarines uh, during the Cold War with the idea that if you could find them, you could track them in the case of like a nuclear strike that was impending. So those have been running since the Cold War and are still running today, many of them. And that gives us decades of data that with the appropriate tools, we can really extract a lot of valuable ecological information from. Um, it's interesting. Bring uh, An interesting parallel that just came to mind for me, uh, particularly in the environmental space, is this model that is uh, kind of humorously named VGG-ish, um, <laughs> which was uh, d- published uh, last year in 2019 um, by actually Huawei Cloud and the Rainforest Connection, uh, which is an organization that focuses on, um, well, rainforests. <laughs> and this model is actually... a a convolutional neural network which can be used to analyze sound recordings from smartphones in the Amazon rainforest with the intent of identifying human activity. And the goal here is to deploy an application that can be run on any kind of consumer hardware that can create this kind of ad hoc uh, democratized network of audio recordings to identify uh, deforestation in order to kind of help track it uh, and identify where it's happening illegitimately or to stop illegal logging and foresting. So there's just a huge amount of opportunity for um, kind of leveraging enormous quantities of data around the world to help us uh, kind of uh, beat back the specter of climate change if we uh, just take the opportunity to get creative and think about how we can best
1: use it. So it's it's really exciting. Could we go back to the whole whales thing? I wanted to find out, like, what is, what are your guys' opinion on... The fact that it took uh, Google nine months to get uh, this scientist a working model—I mean, like from your experience in deep learning—is that is that maybe a little bit too long?
2: Yeah, I think it's an interesting question. Um, it's funny—I was reading an article yesterday uh, that one of my one of the people in my network shared that talked about what's the real. Um, duration of a real life machine learning project and the conclusion was that the ideas that we have of how long a machine learning project takes uh, those ideas are skewed towards the short end by the fact that a lot of machine learning projects kind of fizzle out before they actually reach completion and that in reality it can take nine months to a year and a half for a typical machine learning project to go from kind of idea to deployment and, and, yeah, it is interesting that it, it took Google uh, nine months to go from, you know, a an existing model to one that was kind of fine-tuned, I guess, or modified for this use case. But at the same time, you know, it it, it seems like a pretty complex question about, you know, how much of that time was spent labeling 180,000 hours of audio recordings and, yeah, I think you know, how much was spent. On, they labeled you know,
0: the subset, but even that would be yeah. huge. It was like, a, I can't remember the exact numbers. But. 10 hours, no? Ten hours. Yeah, data.
2: they ended up with 10 hours of training data, but, um, you know, who knows if they had to spend, you know, four or five times that to actually find the positive cases in their uh, data set, you know? Oh, yeah, of mm. course. So, okay, but...
1: good example. Yeah, machine learning projects take usually what the, I use, I've recommended the ratio of you've got to multiply by five, whatever you predict, you've got to multiply by five. Mm. <laughs> That, that sounds, sounds
0: safe. Yeah, that sounds about right. It might not even be safe. It's so, yeah. I'm, yeah, it's a, I'm always super optimistic about how quickly things can be done, but there's yeah, with machine learning models, you, you run into complexity all over the place. Vince mm-hmm. has a knack though, for somehow, when I predict um, that a certain task will take a certain amount of time, and it, typically it's an optimistic estimate, Vince somehow does it in half the time. So I don't know what goes on with him. <laughs>
2: Um, You got to start by setting the bar low and then just, uh, you know, you set yourself up to always overachieve. um, Yeah, I thought
0: he was really terrible at his job and then he did okay. (laughs) Yep. Always exceeding expectations. There you go. Um, All right. So all kinds of cool applications of machine learning to understanding what's happening in the oceans. And on top of that, there are things like ocean cleanup robots that use machine learning to detect plastic and clean it up. So there's a, an example of that. UC San Diego, University of California San Diego, has a cool robot that they've been testing called Fred. That's it for the content in today's show. Kirill, thank you so much for being on the program. Is there anything coming up soon that you'd like our audience members to know about?
1: Oh, please join us for um, Data Science Go Virtual, uh, it's, uh, it's free. Um, it's a conference a virtual conference if you're stuck at home want to learn a bit about data science we've got two days first day is going to be for beginners and there'll be some workshops some talks and second day is for advanced practitioners lots of cool talks and workshops including uh, yours John so uh, make sure to check us out you can find it at uh, datasciencego.com.
0: nice thank you very much Kirill thank you for your fascinating discussion of your journey and the advice that you provided for people with data science related businesses, as well as um, other kinds of businesses in general. And Vince, thank you as always for your wonderful coverage of this topic, um, one that I'm sure is dear to your heart. Um, So please do uh, like us, subscribe to us, follow this podcast. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and YouTube. Once the coronavirus lockdown is over, we will go back to having um, live video footage of the program for you to enjoy on YouTube. So look out for that. Um, and yeah, please do reach out to us. Um, LinkedIn, I think is a favorite for many of us. So you can find me on LinkedIn. Just mention that you're a listener on the program. Um, is that good for you too, Vincent Currell? Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Absolutely. And then I'm on Twitter at John Crone learns, although Twitter. Yeah. We talked about this on the show. It isn't super active for data scientists, but uh, do you have a a handle you want to share? Um, Not really. (laughs) (laughs) There you go. Um, And then, yeah, feel free to send me an email. Um, I'm john at johncrone.com. You can also sign up for my email newsletter at johncrone.com. That's my number one uh, recommendation for staying up to date on any of the content I'm releasing. I have a brand new um, series called Machine Learning Foundations that I'm starting to roll out end of May Uh, 2020 is the first class, and so I have eight three-and-a-half-hour classes running from end of May through to the beginning of September, covering everything you need to know to be a great data scientist uh, in terms of foundations. So linear algebra, calculus, probability statistics, uh, data structures, algorithms, and optimization, all these kinds of topics are covered over that. Um, I'm starting in the O'Reilly Learning Platform as live trainings. However, I will also be rolling out uh, videos uh, as quickly as I can into my YouTube channel. So look out for that stuff. All right, many thanks to Songbin and Maria for editing the show. Of course, again, to our guest, Kirill Aramengo. and to you, listener, if you decide to be the person who makes our theme song, eventually. All right, and Don't then your theme song.
1: And thanks, to, oh, thanks yeah. to Vince.
0: <laughs> I already thanked Vince again at the end. He, does, he doesn't get thanks because he's a co-host. He's <laughs> thanks, guys. Hey, Vince. Thank thanks you, though, to Chris. you, huh? <laughs> <laughs> All right. Thanks a lot,
1: Kirill. Thank you. Thank you very
0: much. Thanks, Kirill. It was a pleasure.